The following For the City sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 37. All right, that's where we're going to be uh, today. So, as we dig in, keep your Bibles out because we're going to be going through several verses today. And actually, it's this, today's message almost, is almost like a part two to the part one of last week, all right? These passages are very, very similar, all right? So we're going to go back and forth and compare last week's passage with this week's passage because actually, this is a tale of two synagogues. Remember the old tale of two cities? Well, this is a tale of two synagogues, two people, two situations, and we're going to look at some of the similarities, but we're also going to look at some of the differences. But before that, I want you to know we're going to start off with the gospel this morning, and I've got good news for you today. I've got great news for you today. That God desires, and this is what this message is all about today, that God desires you to know him, that God, the creator of the universe, desires, wants you to know him. And not only that, he has made a way for you to know him today. Imagine if, like some people say that God doesn't exist, some people say that he just kind of wound up the universe and let it go. And they say that he's not what is called imminent. He's transcendent, but he's not imminent. Those are two big theological terms that basically just mean that God is great. He is holy. He is, he is in a sense, outside of this world, but yet his presence is with us. He wants us to know him, and he's made a way for us to know him. It's, it's actually good news. Can you imagine if God was some far-off God who did not reveal himself to you? If you are saved this morning, that is great news. That at some point, not only did God reveal himself through what is called general revelation, this, this creation, but he came to you and he gave you the gift of faith. He opened your eyes to see Christ in the beauty of the gospel and he saved you. He sent his son, once again, like we say just about every Sunday, he sent his son to live the perfect life that you couldn't live to die in your place, to be raised again to give you life. He's done it all for you because he desires you to know him. And he has made a way for you to know him. So once again, there are two books, if you will. There is creation that we learn about who God is, that he's revealed himself through creation, but he's also revealed himself through what is called special revelation. And that is the word of God and specifically Jesus Christ. Church, this is grace. This is mercy. This is gospel. This is good news for you and for me. Because how hopelessly lost we would be if we didn't have a God who loves us, who is merciful enough, who's gracious enough to want to be known and then makes a way to be known. This is grace. But the problem is, once again, is that we are sinners by nature and by choice. And so we are born separated from God. This God who seeks to be known, who's made a way to be known, uh, when we are born, we are not seeking him, <laughs> right? Because of sin, we don't naturally follow him in faith and obedience. I, I know that when I was 17, I was not seeking him. That night when he saved me, I was not wanting to be at church that night. But yet, in his grace and in his mercy, he saved me. He gave me the gift of faith, and I responded in faith and obedience to the gospel that night. You see, because of sin, we reject this God who wants to be known. We reject revelation, him revealing ourselves through creation and through his son. But guess what? What you could not do because you were a sinner by nature and by choice, God did. God incarnated himself through his son. Carne, meaning flesh. He put on flesh and to do what you could not do. He sent his son. Church, this is grace. This is gospel. This is mercy. So, how will you respond today to a God who knows you, who wants to be known by you, who has done everything possible for you to know him? Well, see, in our sermon today, once again, 
It's all about that. It's all about who God is. It's all about the fact that he wants to be known and he has made a way to be known. And actually, the book of Luke, if you go back to the very first few verses of the book of Luke, Luke is saying to the guy he's writing to, Theophilus, he says, I want you to, he goes, dear Theophilus, I want you to be certain of the gospel. I want you to, I want you to know. I want you to have certainty. Because this Jesus has come to reveal who God is, has made a way to save us. And so, in, in essence, the whole book of Luke is about this. This is who Jesus is. And what are you going to do with this person, Jesus? So once again, going back to last week's sermon, this is kind of a part two, in my humble opinion. Um, and so, once again, we have a tale of two cities. We have a tale of two synagogues. But, but also some similarities in each passage, but some big differences in each passage as well. All right? So let's look at it together. Look at verse 16. In verse 16, Jesus rolls into Nazareth, right? These two towns are both in Galilee. And he rolls into Nazareth and he starts teaching from the word of God. And what does it say in verse 16? It says, as was his custom. So Jesus rolls into Nazareth. He's going to the synagogue as his custom. And he opens the Old Testament. He opens the word of God. What for them was the Old Testament. And he begins to teach as was his custom. Now, a little side note, is that our custom? So why it's so important to be gathering together and assembling together, going to church, letting it be our custom to come and hear the word of God. Not just that, to come and serve one another and to love one another. It needs to be our custom to do that. But he rolls into Nazareth in verse 16. But if you skip all the way to verse 31, in a similar way, as was his custom, he rolls into Capernaum. And he does the same thing. He begins to teach. So wherever he goes, he teaches. He teaches the word. It's not some Oprahism that he teaches. It's not some man philosophy that he teaches. He opens the word. Jesus being the word opens the word of God and begins to teach, as was his custom. Verse 22, the people in Nazareth, they are marveled. That word marvel, they marvel at his gracious words. And then verse 32, the people of Capernaum are astonished at his teaching. So you got, once again, two synagogues, two groups of people, one in Nazareth, one in Capernaum. Jesus, as was his custom, comes in and he begins to teach the word, teach about who he is, reveal who he, who he is. But they don't really know who he is, do they? He's teaching, as was his custom. But if you look at the, remember from last week, the message is, or the question is, isn't this Joseph's son? That's in Nazareth. But then in Capernaum, the question is, what is this word? So they're, they're trying to figure this out. So Jesus rolls into both synagogues at different points in time, begins to teach but both of them marvel and are astonished at Jesus' teaching. But they don't really know who he is. They're asking questions. He speaks with authority. His word has authority and it has power. And it's, these are, in, in Nazareth, it's almost like they're patting him on the head a little bit, though. It's almost like saying, isn't he Joseph's son, right? Oh, Joseph, aren't you so proud of your little Jesus who's coming in with gracious words and teaching? There's a little bit of mocking in a sense. But both of them are trying to figure this out. Who is this guy who teaches with power and with authority? And so they're, they're, they marvel at it. They are astonished by his teaching. But guess what? This is when things get a little bit cray-cray, right, as they say. Things become a little bit crazy. So, in synagogue, both of them. Jesus teaching, both of them. But then things get a little bit crazy. Jesus rebukes his hometown folks. And what do they do? Tell me, what do they do in Nazareth when he begins to rebuke them? Do you remember? They try to kill him. So things get crazy, right? Well, in Capernaum, what he does is 
right there in the synagogue. Imagine right here in church, I'm preaching, I'm teaching the word of God, and someone stands up, Levi stands up and begins to throw himself down, and, and there's an unclean demon. I mean, how crazy would that be? But that's what's happening. So in Nazareth, Jesus rebukes his hometown people, and in Capernaum, this demon cries out, and he rebukes the demon in power. Why does he do this? Well, isn't it just, wouldn't it be just nice if Jesus didn't rebuke his hometown people? They were already saying, Jesus, your words are very gracious. Way to go. Joe's son, way to go. Isn't he gracious? Isn't he kind? And then with the people in Capernaum, they're saying, they're already saying, wow, we're astonished at the words that you bring to the table. So why is Jesus doing this? Why? Because this is not just haphazard. Jesus has rebuked his hometown, and now he has, we'll just say, in his sovereign will, has allowed this to happen in a synagogue. But why? That's the question for us. Why has he done these things? Well, I want you to consider that it's because he wants to reveal himself to them and to us. The reason he does these two things is to magnify who he is. Because these people don't know who he is. Joseph's son? Maybe, yes, he is, but is that really who he is? Rebuking the demon, who is this? What, what word is this that can cast out unclean demons? He wants to reveal himself. You know, he knows their hearts, and therefore he employs a different strategy in Nazareth than in Capernaum. In Nazareth, it's rebuking the people. In Capernaum, it's something very different. He rebukes a demon. Same Jesus, same teaching, different audience, different hearts, and therefore different responses. But you know, church, the goal is the same for Jesus. It's a desire for him to be revealed. It is a desire for them to know who he really is and provoke their hearts towards faith in him alone. You know, church, for some of us, I know me, I'll speak for me, sometimes I need a good old-fashioned rebuking from the Lord. Sometimes I need to be rebuked. Sometimes I need the word to come to me in authority, and I need for Jesus to say, you know what, dude, I'm king. This is who I am. And you need to follow me and obey me as king. Sometimes what we need is not maybe a rebuking. Sometimes we need to see Jesus come in power and authority, in action. Word and action. But both, whatever type of person you are this morning, whatever Jesus has done in your life before, what we need is for the Holy Spirit, for Jesus to provoke us, to challenge us, and to basically remove us off-center a bit. Because if all we're doing is going to church and going through the motions, going to synagogue, well, for them, Saturday after Saturday, but for us, Sunday after Sunday, sometimes the Lord needs to come in word and power to provoke us. I know that when I was 17 years of age, I was sitting there, as I've said to you so many times, um, my testimony is one where I needed to be provoked by the Lord. I needed to be rebuked, and I needed for him to come in power to save me. Because guess what? Uh, my friend Mary had basically said, you're going to church tonight. And I said, no, I'm not. I was going through life, yes, going to church sometimes, but my heart was far from him. And I needed Jesus to come in authority and power, in word and in power, and I needed him to provoke me. I needed him to convict me. I needed him to rebuke me. And that's exactly what happened that night. There was a preacher. It was a youth night. There was a preacher up there. And he says, you are under the management of the devil. And you need to be under the management of the son. And I was like, I, whatever he's saying, I don't know anything about the Bible. But whatever he's saying, that's what I need. At that point in time, I was convicted and crushed lovingly and gently crushed and convicted of my sin.
I was provoked towards faith in Christ. And God saved me. By grace, through faith, I was saved. But sometimes we need Jesus to come in rebuking. Sometimes we need him to come in power. And guess what? He wants to do both. Because he's a gracious savior. He's a gracious king. He's merciful. He wants to be known by you and me. And he makes a way for us to know him. Church, this is Jesus. This is gospel. This is grace. Because if he does not do that, then you are lost in your sin. If he doesn't come in word and power, authority, all of that, as savior and king, you have no hope. I have no hope. But out of his grace and mercy, he comes to us and he provokes us to faith in him. So church, there's only one synagogue that's really starting to see who he really is, however. Nazareth, not so much. But Capernaum, hmm. Nazareth wants to kill him because of his word, because of his teaching. And Capernaum, well, let's look at verses 36 through 37. Turn there with me again. After he heals the demon-possessed man, verse 36 says, and they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. How do we know that Capernaum was different than Nazareth? Well, their, their astonishment turns into telling others. They are changed. Now, they may be on the journey. They may be on the road of, of really seeing who he really is, but they're on the journey. Jesus has revealed himself in word and power to them. They're saying, what is this word? And they're on the journey towards faith in him. Because they go out telling people. Let me tell you about this man. Let me tell you what he did in the synagogue. This is not just merely Joseph's son. This is someone altogether different. You know, this question, what is this word? Go back to that question again. Um, in verses 36 and 37. It's an interesting question, isn't it? You would think they would say, who is he? But they're not saying, who is he? They're saying, what is this word? Because what they're used to is they're used to scribes and Pharisees and religious teachers of the law who come in every Saturday and they just roll up or unroll Isaiah and just begin to talk. Sometimes they don't even really read from the Old Testament. They read their own opinions about the Old Testament, about the law. But there's something different about this word. There's something that says, you know what, this is different, categorically different. So really when they say, what is this word? What they're actually saying is, who is this word? <laughs> That's what they're saying. Who is this? Who is this who teaches and speaks with such authority and power? Once again, in other words, with no pun intended, what they're really asking is, who is this word? Who is this person? And like a trail of breadcrumbs, his words lead them to who he is. So, the fact that Jesus comes in word and power, his words and his actions are like a trail of breadcrumbs that lead to who he is. Jesus is God. Jesus is wanting to reveal himself to them. He's making a way for uh, them to know him because he wants to be known by them. And we're going to talk about why that is at, toward the end of the sermon because it's glorious. But for now, he's just trying to give them, here's a trail of breadcrumbs in word and power that point to who I really am. Has Jesus done that in your life? I know there have been moments in my life where he's just given me these little, this little trail of breadcrumbs where I just pick up a little bit at a time and then all of a sudden, boom. Wow, this is who he is. And even after I was born again, there have been moments in my life, and I hope for you too, there have been moments in my life where I just, I'm just rocking along. 
going through the motions, doing the church thing, give a tithe or an offering, whatever it may be. But then I hear a message and I go, hmm, little breadcrumb. And then another little breadcrumb and then another little breadcrumb until boom. I'm going, wow, God, thank you. Thank you for showing me who you are through your word today. It's like a trail of breadcrumbs, these, these words and actions with authority and power leading you to a person who has ultimate authority and power. You know, once again, both synagogues are asking similar questions. Who is this really? But only Capernaum has an open heart to start seeing who he really is. His words, backed with authority and power, point to a person you have to deal with. Once again, going back to when I was 17, whatever that guy was saying up at the pulpit, I knew that that night I had to deal with this man called Jesus. I knew that whatever he was saying, I really had no choice. It was either deal with him now or deal with him later but you're going to have to deal with him. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is who he says he is, then you have no other choice. You've got to deal with him. You'll have to deal with him now, or you'll have to deal with him later, but you'll have to deal with him. Jesus speaks with authority and power. This is point number one in your map. Jesus speaks with authority and power because he has all authority and power. He's not just, you know, some guys get up there on a, on a Sunday morning, they, 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 they preach, and sometimes they're compelling. And you go, wow, they speak with authority. But what's coming out of their mouth is garbage. So, but with, with Jesus, there is this, he, he speaks with authority and power because he has all authority and power. What he says and what he does flows from who he is. He's not faking it. <laughs> He's not manipulating the audience. He's not just using clever words. He's coming with authority and power because that's who he is. He has all authority and power. Matthew 28 says, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And then he goes through the Great Commission. All authority has been given to him. Who gave it to him? The Father. God did. So God of the universe, God the Father, delegates power and authority to God the Son. This is who he is. This is why he speaks with authority and with power because God the Father has delegated authority and power to God the Son. And so now he comes with authority and power because that's who he is. And the good news for us is that he wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to show us who he really is. Because I tell you what, if you grasp who he really is, it changes everything. You know, point number one in the map, we'll just say, because of this great truth, you're either in crisis because of this truth or it comforts you. You either have a crisis of faith like I did when I was 17 or a few other times in my life where I wasn't following the Lord. I knew him. He knew me. He loved me. I loved him. He delighted in me, but I wasn't delighting in him so much. But I had to deal with him. I had a crisis of faith when he saved me, I had a crisis of faith several times throughout my Christian life because he confronted me with who he was, who he is. So sometimes when we deal with Jesus and he comes to us in word and power, we have this crisis of faith to say, this is who you really are? Then it changes everything. I've got to make a decision. I've got to deal with you now or later, but I've got to deal with you. But then there are times where this great truth, especially church, if you're in Christ today, you are no longer in crisis. 
this should bring great comfort to you. That God is sovereign over all. That this great king of the universe has seen fit out of his mercy to reveal himself to you and to save you. Wow, this is good news, folks. The gospel either brings crisis or comfort. For those who are not in Christ, it should bring crisis. Because Jesus confronts you with word and power, authority and power. But for those who are in Christ, because of the gospel, he saved you. It's finished. So to know that this great God of the universe has come to reveal himself and to continue to reveal himself through his word to you, through the gospel, through his son, should bring you great comfort today. That guess what? The, the word of God says that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. Not because of who you are and what you've done, but because who Jesus is and what he's done on your behalf. And that should bring great comfort. I know that, church, there are days when I wake up with just chock full of anxiety or depression or you name it, looking at my day and going, how am I going to get through this day? And the simple, gentle, merciful truth comes into my heart. I've saved you. Be comforted. I'm yours. You're mine. You're no longer in crisis. I've got you. Nothing can separate you from my love. So once again, when Jesus reveals who he is, sometimes it brings crisis. Sometimes it brings conflict, right? In Nazareth. But for those who are in Christ, it should bring comfort. You're saved. He's in control. He's got you. You know, the funny thing is, if you look back at the passage, the funny thing, if not so tragic, is that the only two people in the room who really know who Jesus is, Jesus and a demon. Isn't that funny? Tragic, but curious. Jesus, the demon says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But before that, he says, ha, doesn't he? There's kind of a mocking tone with this demon. He, says, he goes, ha, Jesus of Nazareth. Doesn't that remind you of the previous passage when they said, isn't this Joseph's son in Nazareth? There's this sense in which even in other, another place, they, they say, what good can come from Nazareth? There's a, there's a sense in which this demon is going, hmm, yeah, Jesus of Nazareth, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. There's a, there's a mocking tone with this demon. Church, notice how the demon knows who Jesus is. Look at the text. Notice how the demon knows who Jesus is, really, really knows who he is. You are the Holy One of God. I know who you are. Notice how the demon knows who Jesus is, confesses who Jesus is, not confession of sin, but declares who he is, but obviously does not have saving faith in Jesus, right? Church, you can know who he is with your brain. Listen up. You can know who he is with your brain. You can declare who he is with your mouth, but not trust who he is in your heart. This is who I was. I mean, if someone would have asked me, I didn't know a lot about the Bible, but if someone would have said, is Jesus the Son of God? Is he the Holy One of God? Probably I would have said yes. Hopefully I would have said yes. I went to church. I know that there are people in my life who, have, who know who Jesus is with their brains. They declare who Jesus is, but their hearts are far from them, far from him. Just like the demon who was mocking him, he calls him Jesus of Nazareth first. He says, ha! I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. 
you can tell that obviously, I mean, I'm, say, I'm stating the, the, like Captain Obvious, the obvious thing here, the demon is not saved, right? The demon doesn't know the Lord. Oh, he knows of the Lord. He declares who he is, but there's no saving faith here. So church, you may be a nice guy or a nice gal, and you may think to yourself, I would never mock Jesus. But the question really comes down, do you have saving faith? You may be a nice person. You may say, you know what, I, you know, I would never do that. But do you know him? Have you trusted him as savior? Have you, by grace through faith, been saved? Do you know who he really is and have you received that great truth? Because believing is receiving. It's like a free gift. This is what the Bible says. Salvation is like a free gift that God gives you. He gives you his son. And guess what you have to do? If you were to stand there and go, oh, that's a nice present. That's a gift. Okay? But I'm going to receive that gift. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to open it. And I'm going to delight in it. And I'm going to go, this is for me? Do you get what I'm laying down? The Bible says the free gift of eternal life is through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, believing is receiving. It's receiving a gift. It's saying, yes, I don't trust in me to save me. I trust in Christ. And so I receive this gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. I open up the gift. I receive it. I delight in it. And I say, this is mine. And God says, yes, I am yours. And then you treasure it. And you go, wow, I didn't deserve this, even on my best day. So have you received the free gift of eternal life? And then Christian, if you have, once again, be comforted. Be comforted from the gospel of grace. Be comforted that you know who he really is, both Savior and King. The problem is he may be your savior, but are you following him as king? Is he king of your life? Is he Lord? I, several times in my life, I've said, Jesus, you're my savior. But then he confronts me and rebukes me in word and power and says, yeah, but do you follow me? Am I king? And then I have to, and that's, that's a gracious statement from him. That's a gracious thing that he does. And so then I turn and I say, you're right. Thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you for convicting me once again that, yes, I'm saved, but I wasn't following you as king. And so what does he do? He's gracious. He's merciful. Because of who Jesus is for you, you can come boldly to the throne of grace even after a huge season of not following him as Lord and King and you come boldly to the throne of grace as his kid adopted into the family and receive grace in your time of need. Receive mercy in your time of need. He doesn't cast his children out. He receives them. So I, moments in my life I confess and 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is the God we worship. This is the gospel that even when we're not following him as king, as saved kids, he receives us over and over and over again and says, you're mine. Wow. He is the Holy One of God. Let me read for you what Steve Lawson says. He's a pastor. He says, the title, Holy One of God, means that Jesus is infinitely and absolutely holy, fully, and perfectly divine. He is transcendent and majestic. He came, he came down from above to save sinners, yet he is set apart from sinners in that he is completely sinless, without any moral blemish, perfect in all of his ways. His being is holy, his character is holy, his mind is holy, his motives are holy, his words are holy, his actions are holy, his ways are holy, his judgments are holy. From the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, every inch, every ounce, the totality, the sum, and the substance of the second person of the Godhead in the Trinity is equally holy with God the Father. This is what it means when the demons declared I know who you are, 
You're the Holy One of God. That's what it means. So church, why wouldn't we bend our knee to this gracious King of ours and receive mercy, receive grace to follow him? Because who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, this is Philippians, by the way, I'm reading from, chapter two, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death for you and for me, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him because of this life and death and resurrection and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is who he is. We've got to deal with him, but he's a gracious, merciful king. He loves you. He delights in you. He came for you to reveal himself. And without directly affirming the demon's response Guess what? He doesn't even, if you look at the passage, Jesus doesn't entertain the demon at all. He's, it's like a drop the mic baller moment, okay? He says, and without directly affirming the demon's response, Jesus confirms this declaration of who he is. Look at the passage with a simple yet effectual command that comes from the Holy One of God. He says, get out. <laughs> drop the mic. But I want you to notice something. Notice how the demon casts the man down. I, now, I may be reading between the lines here, but this is, for me, this is like when I was a teenager and my mom or my dad told me to do something because they had the authority and the power to tell me to do it or there were consequences. Do you remember this kind of moment? I'm sure you do. When you were a teenager or maybe, maybe last week, I don't know. God tells you to do something, you just slam the door. Oh yeah, you're obeying, but is it true obedience? This is what the demon's doing. He has no option but to leave the man, but before he does, he slams the door in defiance, throws the man down to hurt him. But is, whoa. But is the man harmed? No, he's not. What the demon means to harm, we'll say who the demon means to harm, Jesus heals unharmed. This is, what, this is what it's like in our lives, isn't it? I mean, God is like a, the Holy Spirit is like a fine surgeon who comes in and he, he makes all the right incisions to bring healing. But what does the enemy do? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy comes and when, when, when you're being convicted by the Holy Spirit, it's like, yes, yeah, that's me. Thank you. I remember one moment I was driving in Texas when I was 20 or 30 something and I had just sinned and, and the Holy Spirit convicted me of that sin and yes, I grieved. I didn't grieve because I got caught because no one knew, it was my own sin, but God knew. And he comes to me graciously and he convicts me of sin and I'm grieved. And I, at that moment, I go, he gave me the grace to say, God, thank you, thank you because you're making a fine incision, spiritually speaking, and you're wanting to bring healing to me. You're for my joy, you're for my good. But the enemy comes in and like a rebellious teenager slams the door, casts you down in order to harm you. But what the enemy does to harm, Jesus heals and you leave unharmed because we have a gracious king who comes with authority and power and heals. He even has power over the spiritual powers. I don't have time to get into all that. That's another sermon for another day. But he magnifies himself in the synagogue and says, this is who I am. This is who the enemy is. This is who I am. This is a physical, his healing of this man is a physical illustration of a spiritual reality. Just like when I was 17, the preacher says, you're under the management of the devil 
And for your good, God sent his son to be under new management because he's for you. He magnified himself that night to reveal himself. This is what Jesus is doing. Look at point number three. Jesus' words and actions flow from who he is. They flow from who he is. We're not going to spend much time on this point because you've you've basically heard this the entire sermon so far. Everything Jesus is and does or speaks and does comes from who he is. Who is this word? He is the word. John chapter 1. So obviously his words come with authority and power because that's who he is. Church, like Jesus, our words and our actions should flow from who we are. They should flow from the inside out. Let me see your eyeballs for a moment. Our words and actions as a Christian should flow from our identity of who we are in Christ. The way we say it at For the City is that character comes before content. Another way we say it is being comes before doing. Doing flows from being. Content flows from character. Identity to integrity. So who you are leads to integrity. From the heart flows words and actions. From what we treasure. From what we treasure to how we live in light of that treasure. Church, this is true worship. Romans Chapter 12 says, this is what it means to be a living sacrifice. Out of our faith, out of our hope, out of our love, out of of our identity in Christ flows the Christian life. Another way we've said it around here, are you working hard for an identity with other people? Or are you working from your identity in Christ? And I don't have time to unpack all of that But that's a huge truth, gospel truth. Because if you reverse those, (laughs) we'll just say it's not good. And that's another sermon altogether. So church, let us be a church of individuals and corporately who serve this city and tell others about Christ and serve one another and worship and all the things that we do. Let it be not because we're mere religious, Don't let it be religion. Let it be who you are. Because all week long, you've spent time with the Lord. You've spent time in the Word. So that when you get here on Sunday or we get to a community event or whatever it is, you're not just doing the church thing. You're not just doing the religious thing. But it's who you are. It flows from who you are. It flows from your identity in Christ. It flows from the great reality that you are His. This is what it means to walk in the Spirit, be empowered by the Spirit, and speak words of the Spirit. It is the Word of God. It is the power of God in you, flowing out towards other people. This is the Christian life. This is what it means to be uniquely Christian. A lot of religions are doing, once again, religion. That's not who we are. In closing... Look at the last verse. And what was the result of everything Jesus did in this passage? They went out and told others. You see this over and over again. When Jesus magnifies himself in word and power, guess what happens? People go, whoa, who is this word? What just happened? Did you see what just happened? Remember the, the woman at the well? She goes and she tells everybody. She says, this man, you got to meet this man. He told me everything I ever did. She was changed. She was transformed. So last point on the map. Well, before we get to that, verse 37, you're going to see in 36, Jesus magnifies himself. The people are stunned by it. They're stunned. And guess what happens? His fame grows. Look at verse 37. Testimonies and reports go forth. 
His fame grows and grows. Church, isn't this the kind of church we want? Where we encounter Christ, the Savior and the King, this gracious and merciful and powerful King, and He changes us on a daily or weekly basis. And then we go out throughout the week to FedEx or wherever it may be, and we say, let me tell you, let me tell you about a man. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. Ruby, who's not here, and I know she wouldn't mind me saying this, at community, missional community a couple weeks ago, at the top of her little map, she wrote, oh man, this is, this is precious. She says, she had nothing else to say that night other than to say, this is the note that, she said, this is the note that I took. God did a miracle with me. When, I'm, when I was 17, all I knew is that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. <laughs> That's all I knew. And guess what? I went and I, and I witnessed to Lee Spradlin at school a couple days later. And I said, I want you to see a man. I want you to know what happened to me. Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you. You know why? Because the Bible tells me so. And that's all I know. But he came in word and power, Lee Spradlin, and he changed my heart and my life. And he wants to do the same for you, Lee Spradlin. Now, Lee kind of gave me the bird, but that's, that's not the issue. It was whatever happened to me at church overflowed. I couldn't help but tell others. This gracious king saved me. So the last point, when you receive the word, you are changed by the word. And then you testify of the word. See, when you encounter and receive our gracious and saving king by faith, you gladly and joyfully, because it's a love relationship, you submit to his authority. Oh, you're a good king. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for your mercy. I submit to your authority. You're changed by his power. And then you go, I want everyone to know about his grace. So you testify. Which leaves us where we began today. <laughs> Here's some good news. God desires you to know him. God has made a way for you and me to know him. God wants others. He wants the city to know him. Why are we here? Because there's a city that needs to know him. And you, there's a God who wants the city to know him. And guess what? He has made a way for the city, for this church, for you and me to know him. This is the word that became flesh. I'm going to leave you with John chapter 1. Turn with me real quick. John chapter 1, verses 1 through, we'll figure out how far I want to go. <laughs> Jesus came in word and power because he is the word. In the beginning, if you're with me, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. This is who your Savior and King is. In the beginning was the word. That's Jesus. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And church... <laughs> In him was life, is life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness had not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. John was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is Jesus. He was in the world and the world was made through him. He's king, right? He's creator. He's, yet the world did not know him. He even came to his own. Remember last week, Nazareth? He even came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But here's the good news of the gospel. 
but to all who did receive him. Have you received him today? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This is what it means to be born again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. So I leave you with this, that God wants to be known through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through your witness. He wants you to know him. He wants our city to know him. And he's made a way for us to know him. This is the gospel. This is grace. This is kindness. This is the God we worship. So let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you so much for the great reality that you did not leave us alone or lost in our sin. But you came. You gave us your word. You gave us your son. You've given us the Holy Spirit. Father, you have done it all because you are a God who is transcendent. Yes, you are holy. You are glorious. You are transcendent. You are not like us but yet you are imminent. You are transcendent, yet imminent. You want to be known. You desire to be known. You've made a way to be known. Who is a God like ours? Who has done it all for us? So Father, we worship you now in holiness. We worship you in truth. We worship you because you're merciful. Help us today. Change our hearts. Help us. Help us to follow you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we will worship you as king. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the city exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.